Welcome to the Real Talk with Real Fit Pros podcast, where fitness professionals learn to get what they're worth. With over 30 years of combined experience in the fitness industry, Jonathan Loudermilk and Mark the Fitness Ninja Zolmanoff share their expertise in helping fit pros work smarter, earn more, and design a business that they love. Learn about effective social media strategies, organic marketing, client acquisition and retention, and whatever other shenanigans John and Mark bring to the table. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Real Talk with Real Fit Pros. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Real Fit Pros. It's your host with the most, Jonathan Loudermilk. And as always, I've got my PIC, that's partner in crime, if you don't know what that means, Mark the Fitness Ninja Zalmanoff. And we've got a damn good guest on today. He's actually one of the legends of the industry, even though he's extremely humble and he won't refer to himself that way, but I'm going to go ahead and call a spade a spade. So, with that being said, I'm going to kick it off to Mark, and Mark's going to do the honors of introducing our fantastic guest that we have today. Yeah, this uh, I'm not going to get into my usual shenanigans. On here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, to me, this is one of our industry titans. I mean, there's, there's not many people who are industry known and, and have a great reputation that precedes them. So Jonathan Goodman, he has brought the fitness industry together since 2011. He's published 11 books. He's had over 20 million visitors to his website, which is insane. That's vptdc.com. We'll put that in show notes later. Sold over 250,000 educational items to health and fitness Ooh. enthusiasts, originally from Toronto. So he's a snow Mexican like my wife. Um, Coach Goodman has enjoyed over 1,300 days exploring the world. We'll definitely talk about that as well with his young family. You can follow him on Instagram at it's Coach Goodman. Coach, welcome to the show, man. Your wife says hi, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my you know we can't we can't come up there right now, so we're we're actually going to bring her parents down to uh, Florida mm. next year because uh, cool. you know that that old that old thing going on. So John, welcome yeah. to the show, sir. Grateful to have you. Um, as you were told, like five minutes ago, we start this thing off with fitness story. <laughs> so tell us what you got, man. Yeah, I still don't know what story I'm going to tell. <laughs> I guess I'll, I mean, I'll tell one of my, one of my first ever stories at the gym. One of my first memories when I was, I started going to the gym when I was 15 years old and I'd go to the local YMCA with, uh, with my two buddies, Brandon and Trevor. And we'd walk over after school and we'd go to the YMCA and it was like, whatever, 15, 20 minute walk to school. And I was, I mean, to give you context, like I went into university at 17 years old, 105 pounds soaking wet. Ooh. I mean, I'm, I was a small guy, right? I mean, I'm still a shorter guy, but at least have, have a little bit of weight on me now. And so when I was in the gym, I remember the, the YMCA basically had two areas for free weights. And it had one area that was, you know, the 2.5 pound dumbbells to the 15 pounds. And the other area had the 20 pounds to, you know, 20 pounds and up, whatever it went up to. I, I don't even know what it went up to because I never got anywhere <laughs> close to it. And I remember, I remember sitting in the, I remember, I remember sitting there thinking, you know, one day I'll be able to lift weights in the big boy zone where the weights start at 20 pounds. <laughs> and it's just so interesting looking back there. And what I think a lot of fitness professionals perhaps need to do a lot more of is reconnect to how they felt and why they started. Mm. There's so much fitness professionals get often wrapped up in their own head, myself included into what we think now, right? What we believe now. And, and we have to understand, like I've been in the fitness industry for 17 years. Why did I start? Well, I started because I wanted to get laid in high school. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> and like, it's become taboo to talk about to talk about fitness that way to say, hey, you know, I, I got into fitness because I wanted to look good because I thought that that was going to lead to more sex. But the reality of it is, I think if, if a lot of people, not everybody, obviously, but if a lot of us are honest, like sex had a pretty big determinant of like why we got into fitness in the first place. And it's just, I mean, whether it was that or not, right. It's considered like noble to talk about all of the other benefits of fitness as a good reason to get into it. And, you know, mental health, huge, still huge for me. 
disease prevention, longevity, all of these things are massively important, don't get me wrong. But are they actually the reason why you started exercising in the first place? And I asked that question as, as a rhetorical question to, to you guys, to anybody listening, as like, as a fitness professional, I think it's so important to connect with why we started because the people that we're out there to serve and work with and help are starting their journeys. And you got to meet them where they are, not where you are now. Mm. I love it. That's good stuff. And, and you're absolutely right. Like, you know, so many of us, we just forget. It's the curse of knowledge. You've known what you've known for so long. You forget what it's like to not know it. You assume a certain level of, of education or whatever it is in your clientele base, and they just don't have it because they haven't been doing the thing that you've been doing it's for just, that long. It's not what is present in front of their face 24-7. I mean, I always, I always think back to one story of an old training partner that I had for a long time. He was a really smart guy. He was, he was at that point, he was a pilot, and then he became an air traffic controller. And I, and really smart guy. And he was super fit. He was, you know, fitter than me at the moment, but I was personal trainer, you know, and we worked out together and we were training together one day. And we, I don't even remember what we were doing. We were lifting weights, like, like idiot 20 year olds, probably in the gym. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I just, and he didn't understand. I, I, I think I was talking to him about um, cross bridge formation in muscle fiber contraction. And I couldn't believe that he didn't understand. I was like, what do you mean you don't understand it? And he just, <laughs> and he just, he just looked at me with this just, this just dead eye look. And he's like, what's the average takeoff velocity of a 747? <laughs> and it just shut me right up. Because <laughs> anybody who's a pilot or in the airline industry knows that, obviously. Right. Right. And obviously I fly in planes like... Like I use the service, same thing. It's like, he lifts weights. Does he know how the, no, it's not what he does for a living. And, um, and that just shut me right up. And I think about that a lot of just, we gotta, we gotta know that we're deep into something, especially with filter bubbles, especially with social media. It's all we see in front of our face. It can be hard to identify that there are people who don't perhaps see these things um, in our face all the time. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny you mention that because the, the circles that me and Mark run around, we, we, we talk a lot about how the average reading level, and this is the truth, is about a sixth grade reading level for most people. And we're Personal surrounded by probably three, right? <laughs> goes down even more, right? But, I don't even know how to count to seven. Exactly. If it's not on the yeah. bar, it's not getting counted. How many reps know? did you do? Three. The answer is always three. <laughs> like, I have no idea how many reps. Like, it's I know, well, I, how to, I know how to count in 45s. Yeah. 45, 90, 135. Yep. 225. 225. Like, <laughs> that's, that's all that I can count. <laughs> well, I, I think to your point, though, it's like we forget that. And I think it's our job to be brilliant communicators and how to break down something complex and, and deliver it in a simple way so someone can digest it and go apply it, which is what we've, yep. you've, we've watched you do over your career, which is why we're here talking about it. Sure. Yeah. So, so let's go back, you know, you, you've kind of, you've built this empire, right? Online trainer Academy and the, and the PTDC and, and just this enormous blanket of coverage over what the fitness industry does. And especially with the online coaches. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning of all this, what, what was the thing that switched in your head that said, you know what, like we need to do better and I'm actually going to do something about it. You really think that had anything to do with it? <laughs> Nothing to do with it. I was doing what everybody does. I'm trying to make my own life better. I mean, that's, it's the truth, right? I was a personal trainer. I was 23 years old and I'd reached the top of personal training. I was, I was training 40 hours a week. I was charging as much as you could charge in Toronto. At that point it was 97 bucks an hour. I was referring my overloader clients to other trainers and I was the senior trainer at our club. So I was, I was um, basically hiring and doing in service and stuff like that and getting a salary for that too. And uh, I was like, all right, well, this is cool. I'm like 23 years old, but I'm working my ass off, you know, 6 a.m., 6, 6.30 to, uh, to 9.30 at night most days. And, 
Um, I'm enjoying it. It's super fun, but I'm 23. And at some point I'm probably going to want to date somebody who's not the receptionist at our gym and <laughs> like meet some people outside here. And at some point I'm going to want to travel and have a family and all this kind of stuff. And I can't trade for money, you know, time for money this way. And so I started searching ways I did whatever, you know, this is back before the internet was there. So I went to the bookstore <laughs> and I looked at books on multiple streams of income on passive income. And then I walked right across the street to the library and I checked out those books from the library <laughs> and I just started reading, right? I was just searching. It wasn't like, I'm going to make the fitness industry better. I was a 23 year old kid in Toronto in a boutique gym. I didn't have any network. I didn't know anybody. I was just trying to figure this out. And so I built, I mean, I, I, I was searching, right? I built two, uh, business plans for smoothie operations. I studied residential real estate investing for six months. And then at, for some reason, you know, I came across this book by somebody named Robert G. Allen called Multiple Streams of Income. I'm not recommending the book. I don't know. It's probably, who knows, maybe it's a good book. It's probably really old now. But this was in like 2008. And in that book, there was this term that there was one chapter on something called infopreneuring. Basically, hey, you can actually sell your information and make money on it. Revolutionary at the time. Mm -hmm. Not any, obviously now it makes sense, but at the time it was revolutionary. Holy crap, you could do this on the internet? Wait, what? <laughs> and so in that book, right, there was, there was a section in that chapter, there was a section that had like this image and the image was a circle and in the circle was, was the middle to denote like the center of the universe. And all around that was all the income streams that you can build. And the center of the universe was write a book. When you write a book, you become the expert. Around that, you can build all these income streams. Right? And so I was like, in my you know, 23, 24-year-old, I can't remember exactly. I, I wrote the book when I was 24, but can't remember exactly when I came across this. You know, On my parents' red couch, living at home at the time. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll write a book. <laughs> because <laughs> I was just so, I was so optimistically ignorant. And I think a big problem that we have these days is we often know too much. There's too much information thrown at us from every direction that we know too much about stuff and it paralyzes us. And so I knew so little about why I shouldn't write a book at 24 years old that I just set about to write a book and I just figured it out step-by-step. Step. Like how did the manuscript for Ignite the Fire come about? I had a page on the back of my clipboard and every day when I trained clients, I would just write everything that I did in bullets on the back of my clipboard, answered this question from this client, navigated the sales consultation, um, saw another trainer on the floor who was doing something that I deemed dangerous with their client. What do you do? Right. And then I'd go home at night and I'd write up what I thought about that. And that's how the manuscript for Ignite the Fire came about. And then I had to find an editor. I thought, I didn't really know what an editor did, but I, I figured that editors had something to do with books. So I figured I probably needed to get an editor as the next step. And I was like, well, I don't know any fitness editors. I don't know anybody who's ever made a book, right? And, but um, I know where books exist. So I went to the bookstore again and I, and I looked up the best-selling fitness books. And I wrote down the names of the authors. And then I went home and found their websites and emailed them and asked them for an introduction to their editor. And Brad Schoenfeld introduced me to Kelly James Anger, who edited the book for $7,500. And then I had a book. And I was like, okay, well, I've got this, this book. How do I publish it? Let's figure this shit out. <laughs> okay. So I just like Googled and figured it out. And I ended up hiring somebody on Upwork to make the manuscript of the book from India. And then I went on 99 designs and had somebody do a cover. And then the book was out and I was like, how do I get people to read this book? I don't know. I guess I'll start a website. How the hell do I do a website? Well, I know somebody with a website. One of my clients, Alexander Orlando, she's an Olympic gymnast. Um, she has a website. So I call her, I was like, yo, Alex, um, who did your website? I want to get a website done. Oh yeah, Pat, he's awesome. I can have Pat's number. I call up Pat. Yo, Pat, can you make me a website? Sure, man. 1500 bucks. Let's meet. Let's talk about it. Now I have a website. Like that's how this shit happens. Like literally step by step by step by step. And, um, and I just feel like maybe perhaps 
people need to do more of that these days and just kind of figure it out as they go and take quantum leaps mm-hmm. versus try to have everything perfect before they start. Mm. Amen to that. Good grief. Amen. And a woman. <laughs> and a, a they. Yeah. <laughs> Or if you're my 14-year-old son and attack helicopter. I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> Yeah, hey. <laughs> who, knows no, with, who knows with gender pronouns these days, my friend. Right. So, you know, there, there's obviously, there to me, it's obvious, there's a natural curiosity that you have and a natural drive to solve problems. Just which, fun. It's just fun. Just build shit. You can have invent you, you anything. That way? No. You, like, like, did you grow up that way? No, never. No, I'm from a middle to upper class, affluent, reasonably affluent Jewish family in suburbia, Toronto. <laughs> what are you talking about? Every adult I ever knew was a lawyer, doctor, dentist, teacher, or accountant. My dad's middle management. My mom's a teacher. My sister's a lawyer. My brother's a banker. My other brother's a teacher. Every single one of my friends is a doctor, dentist, lawyer, teacher, or accountant. Like, like literally every single one of them. I don't know, man. It's just, it's fun. Why would you not? Just build shit, put it out into the world. Like mm. it's so easy to do. You can figure it out. And so what? Like, so somebody on the internet is going to think that you're not a good person. It's like, so go home to your hot wife and everything will be okay. Like you're fine. <laughs> like what? Like why? Like where? I guess all of this to say, I mean, I'm making jokes, of course, but all of this to say, what actually is going to go wrong? If you put yourself out there and build shit and put it out into the world versus all of this insane productive procrastination that's going on right now and trying to figure it out and get it perfect, right? What's actually going to go wrong? Do you know? Because my guess is not very much. Yeah. The, the crap we make up in our head is always far worse than the worst thing that could possibly happen. Yeah, Mark, you're a, you're a philosopher. So Seneca once said, if you wish to stave off all fear, imagine that the worst that can happen most definitely will happen. Yeah. Right? Fear setting. Worst case scenario. If you, if most fear exists in our mind, fear is an irrational response to the unknown. If you want to eliminate fear, you simply have to make the unknown known. So imagine the absolute worst case scenario. Because most of the time what happens is that we make up a whole bunch of shit in our head that we can't even describe. We don't even know what's going on, but we worry because we're unsure of it. We haven't defined the problem enough. Define the problem, define what the, if everything that could possibly go wrong, goes wrong. What does that mean? Because usually it ain't that bad. Yeah, I know Gary Vee talks about that a lot too of like, envisioning his family being murdered you know he's like okay i envision that well that's not going to happen so how bad could it possibly be in his little voice you know he's got that little freaking guy (laughs) freaking guy thinks of everything before me what a jerk (laughs) so so let's talk about all these books oh geez don't do it it's a bad it's a bad idea It's not a smart thing to publish 11 books, like publish one book, make it really fucking good. And then promote that book for 10 years. Don't write 11 books. It's a stupid thing to do. Anyway, what do you want to know? So so just so you know, John and I both published our first book this year and I have no, like right now, I have no intentions of publishing. Don't do any more. No, now I definitely don't. Where's the motivation to, to put these out? Like I can't not do it. Is it just all in your head and you got to get it out there somewhere? It's just fun. It's you just like fun. to build. That's I like to build stuff. Is. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I like to build stuff. I want to I want to build stuff and put it out into the world. That's all it is. It's not a smart strategic thing. It's not smart to write and self-publish 11 books. It's a stupid it's thing to do from a business standpoint. Cheap either, by the way. <laughs> not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know how many things I could have been doing in that time? <laughs> it's not a, it, like, like there are way better, like, don't get me wrong. Having a book is important. And, you know, being able to produce tangible assets, particularly IP assets that work for you, very important. But the way that I've done it over the years, it's not, you know, it's not a smart way to go about it. I just could not do it. 
there's not that much more to it than that. It's just, I've always got to have multiple things on the go. And, um, and I've always got to be like producing real things and put them out into the world. In the past two years, to be honest, I wasn't because, you know, I, I did what everybody's supposed to do when they get successful. I, I, I went corporate. I didn't work in my business. I started making my business work for me. I started hiring all these, you know, VPs and senior people away from other companies so I could brag to my buddies and tell them, hey, look at these people I have working for me. Look at where they used to work. I'm so important. It's all bullshit. Stupid. It was all ego driven. And I stopped creating. We started hiring consultants. We hired four different consultants, paid over $300,000 in the last two years to try to help us refine our brand message. How fucking stupid is that? <laughs> I'm our, I am our customer. I know how I think. Why am I hiring somebody who's never worked in the fitness industry to do interviews with our customers and then hiring statisticians to analyze them? Stupid as that. But that's what successful businesses do. <laughs> so that's what we did to learn how to talk to our customers so that they would like us more. It's fucking stupid. It's funny because we were literally talking to somebody earlier today that talked about how when things are going well, we'll fuck it up. You just, we- you just invent. You just, well, I mean, this is like, this is just my, like, this is my MO, right? Like I'm really, really good at building stuff. I'm really shit at running stuff. And, and to the point where I basically hate things the minute that they become successful and then I just destroy them. <laughs> This is why I've done so much. It's not like, (laughs) (laughs) again, it's not a smart thing, guys. This is not me giving advice. Don't, in 10 years time, don't write 11 books, put on five conferences, produce six digital products and a certification and then software and a thousand articles. And like, don't do all these things, right? Like put your flag in the sand in one place. Think about what you're doing what you want to accomplish, go to the edge of the map with that thing and just fucking nail that thing. Don't do anything else. Don't do what I do. (laughs) It's a bad idea. Like that's my best advice. I just, I destroy everything that I, that I have. Right. And, um, and that's because I get bored of it, but at the same time, I mean, it's created this really interesting body of work that I'm proud of. And it's also, I mean, you know, I'm, I joke, but like the reality of it is, it's gone pretty well for me. I mean, I could be much better, but I also basically never have to worry about anything financially again. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's not a bad thing. You know, so like, am I sitting here and I'm like, well, maybe if I kept at that one thing, I could have, you know, made 50 million. It's like, I mean, maybe, but I would have had less fun. Um, and I'm still doing fine. So I, I really love it. You said fun. I don't, I don't know. A dozen <laughs> like that's my jam right there. Like I fucking love having fun. Right. And I think it's so important. And so many people in, in every walk of life, not just our industry, but just lose sight of the enjoyment of, of being in existence and doing fun things with fun people. And uh, it's, it's lost. Like people just get lost in it. Yeah. I mean, why, why would you, why would you aspire for anything else? Right. What's, what's the point? What's the point of it? And yeah. I heard I heard something the other day. Um, somebody asked, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody asked some billionaire, like, hey, you know, you've made all this money. You know, what's how do you still find meaning in what you do? And the billionaire's answer was, Why do you need meaning in what you do? And I was like, God, that sounds ass backwards to me. <laughs> like on one hand, you know, everybody's like patting this guy in the back. Oh my God, I can't believe you got that realization out of him. Yeah, let's get rich. It's like, oh no, man, it just doesn't resonate. And that's just, that's just part of life, right? Different people are different and that's perfectly fine. And one of the things that I've, I guess, become more comfortable with, particularly in the last six months, I mean, the last six months, I've eliminated $2 million of overhead for my company. Like, wow. it's just, I mean, you know, it's just, freeing up space again to have fun to play to build and 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 be a lot loose the way that i'm talking right now i wouldn't have talked for the last two years because we were a company and we didn't talk that way (laughs) and and it's because you know our consultants told us that oh people like it when we talk about these things this way and so 
And so we hired copywriters who talked that way, who read our brand scripts and, you know, again, stupid. And it's just, it's not, it's not stupid. I shouldn't say that. It's not for me. Yeah. And I think that's part of the journey. You know, John and I have mentors around us who are very authentic and very real. And we've been able to really learn from people like that who they don't, they're not corporate people at all. They're willing to just throw their shit out there. They don't care what anybody thinks about them, but it draws people to you because it's real, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's a relationship there. That's not the Bob's in office space, you know, in that conference room, right. talking about Michael Bolton's music. Um, so, <laughs> so you, one of the best screenplays of any movie. It's so good. It's so, it's good. so good. So COVID hits last year. Obviously, you know, puts this huge wrench. What happened? Yeah, this thing. I don't know. They made it up. Um, I'm in Mexico. COVID doesn't exist here somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the resorts anyway. Um, I'm assuming, and I could be wrong, but I'm assuming there was an uptick for Online Trainer Academy. I'm assuming there was more interest in coaches needing to get online because John and I definitely saw it. What did you see from your perspective? Um, yeah, I mean, all hell broke loose. Uh, you know, it was, it was a very interesting year. So basically like March, 2020 hit and, and COVID hit in earnest. And a lot of people were blindsided by it, right? Like whether they should have been or not is another conversation, whether they should have seen it coming, but the reality of it is most people didn't see it coming organizations too. And, um, what's fascinating, actually, if you read the, the new book about Amazon, um, by Brad Stone, he talks about Amazon's response to COVID fascinating talks about how they were on top of it from day one really really interesting their response um and and like they had like amazon had testing in like january of 2020 installed in like everywhere that they were anyway aside most people didn't really know what's going and so we're sitting here with the only real curriculum for online training that existed worldwide and, and the only real certification and, and the only textbook for this thing, right? And if you think about what, what we did with the Online Trainer Academy, it was actually a really stupid business because the total available market is tiny. Like the total available market for OTA is basically independent trainers who are entrepreneurial, who don't work for anybody else, who don't have anybody working for them. It's kind of a small market. It was fine because we were the only player in it and it did well for us. And so what happened was COVID hit in in March of 2020 and my phone just started ringing. I was on the phone within about three weeks with um, the VPs or presidents of of every major certification body, basically worldwide and almost every gym chain worldwide. And it was because all of a sudden the entire fitness industry needed what we only had. And so, again, I had a lot of uh, fairly interesting conversations with uh, what I now call the greedy big fitness institution. (laughs) And um, let's just say that there are certain organizations that I have sworn to never deal with ever again, because they tried to take advantage of me through lawyers and basically steal everything that I had through complicated legalese. And it was really shitty. Mm. And, uh, and it's a good thing that we have good legal counsel and we caught it and didn't sign anything. But I mean, we got into deep negotiations. We ended up licensing the Online Trainer Academy to ACE, uh, who's still reselling it for us. And we did 5,600 customers the first week in March 2020 that COVID hit. And um, it was just like everybody was listening to us, just whoosh, right? And it was good. We had a good year last year. Because basically what happened was we had the only supply and then demand rose artificially very, very quickly and blindsided everybody. So we captured all of that, right? And then, and then supply started growing, right? Every education body put out their own offering very, pretty quickly. Most of them just made shit up. Like literally like NASM built those in three weeks. I know because they were going to buy those four weeks before that. And, um, and they just like put anything out. Like they just don't give a shit, right? They just needed something. And um, if you hadn't noticed, NASM's one of those companies who I've sworn to never do. <laughs> and, uh, and so 
you know, th this happened. And then every Instagrammer with a thousand followers or more, all of a sudden put out their own offering too and started mentoring and whatever it is. And so that was also fine because demand was still so high. And then when the world basically opened up this year again, or started to in, in, in and around May, demand went back down to like basically normal levels, but supply is still super high. And our sales just fell off a cliff. And, um, you know, we've always had a very fiscally responsible company, tons of money in the bank, tons of space. We know our numbers really well. And, and most, of our, most of our revenue is on payment plans. So we know because we're not we were not replacing the payment plans at the rate that we were uh, the rate that we were selling. We knew exactly the dates that like our revenue was going to fall off a cliff. Like I knew in October, I knew again in December, and I know in January, our revenue is basically just going to fall off a cliff because we just haven't replaced it. And so it 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 exposed just how frail the business was in you know selling a a certification. And it made us better. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, pandemics do or black swan events do, not necessarily pandemics, but like it breaks down shit that isn't actually very good and makes it so bad that you're forced to do something about it. So we had our pandemic moment this year and, um, and it sucked. <laughs> it truly did. But at the end of the day, we'll still be profitable. We've still never had a profitable, an unprofitable year, but like it's, it's, it's been interesting because it's forced this like deep introspection about like, what are we doing? Like my problem has always been, has always been just, I don't have anything to sell. Like I'm kind of largely disinterested in selling stuff. I just want to build shit and I just want to give it away. And so that's fine if you don't have a few million dollars of overhead every year. Um, but if you do and your revenue falls off a cliff, it forces, it forced us to do things that were, um, very much outside of our value system. And it was bad. And, uh, you know, I always, I always go back to a, a mentor of mine, somebody who's become a friend, his name's Don Tapani. He was an ex Hindu monk. And we were sitting in a, in a hotel. It's actually kind of a funny story because, I'm sitting with him, he's, you know, in his, in his monk garb, you know, and we're in the Shangri-La hotel in Toronto and there's like prostitutes at the next table, you know, and I'm, and I'm sitting there with his monk and uh, he's, he's a chill guy. I like him a lot. <laughs> and I asked him, this is a number of years ago, but I asked him, I was just like, man, like what? I, I like, I like to think like I asked him in a very stage where I'm like, monk, let's me ask you a question. But I was probably like, man, like, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I I never like aspired for any of this, right? Like I never like dreamed. Yeah, I was, I was like 2008. Nobody like dreamed of being an entrepreneur in 2008. It wasn't like a cool thing to do. Right. So I was like, I never like knew any of this would happen. It just kind of happened. And I've done pretty well. I've done better than I, you know, ever thought. I figured I'd do what everybody, every adult that I knew would, you know, I'd, I'd work in the morning until night and then I'd come home and then I'd get a salary and I, you know, do that and I'd be happy. And, but, you know, I found myself in this situation where, Things are going pretty good. So how do I know, how do I know when it's too much? And, uh, and he took a second to respond as, as monks do. <laughs> and he spoke very slowly and, and as monks do, right? And, <laughs> and he, he said, you know, most people, when they ask this question, expect some sort of a financial answer. They expect something like, oh, well, as long as you have $5 million in the bank and your house is paid off, you can reasonably expect to make 7 to 10% interest a year on your $5 million, which is going to get you about $50,000 a year to live off of. And then you live off of the interest and you never take down the principal. And that's how you know when you have enough and you're good to go. It's like, it's not the answer to me. Because the answer is you have to have a value system. You have to know what energizes you and what makes you excited to go to work every day. And as long as you're working within that value system, as long as you're not being forced to do things that take you outside of that value system and you're excited to work every single day, he says, make as much goddamn money as you can make. <laughs> but the second that you are being pulled outside of that, it's too much. And I've reflected on that a lot as I've seen a lot of my friends sell their companies in the past couple of years. There's been a huge consolidation in the fitness industry the last few years. 
exaggerated by, by COVID, but it was happening before that. And, and I've seen what's happened to the companies since they've been sold as they've been owned by private equity and venture capital and stuff like that. And all of a sudden now these companies that were built off of really strong value systems are now owned and have a primary responsibility, fiduciary responsibility to their investors. And the investors just want to make money. You know, the investment company has a responsibility to make its investors money and invest in the companies that are going to make it the most money and run those companies in the way that's going to make the most money out of them. And as a result, these companies now act well, well beyond their value systems. And I've seen that happen. I've kind of thought to myself, my, that just doesn't really seem right to me. I just don't want to do so. If that means that I'll make a little bit less, like that's fine. But um, I kind of broke everything down that we were doing. And, um, and I'm building it back up. I mean, I don't know what it is, my third or fourth midlife crisis. It's fun. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm having fun again. I'm building stuff up from scratch and I'm building it up in a way that I'm happy and it's going really, really well. You know, our software excitement around our software is ridiculous. And, um, and we have a new course platform coming out and our mentorship is doing well. And what's interesting is that I'll make as much goddamn money as I want with those, but we're going to do it our way. And if that means that it's not ultimately as much as we may otherwise make, so be it, right? I don't remember what question you asked. No, what are you no, talking no. About? no, that's fantastic. I mean, you're, yeah. you're in our love language here because we talk about <laughs> all so, the time. We So y'all listening, this is our fourth episode one day that we're going through, right? Hey, and, mine too. There you go. Hell hey. Yeah. So <laughs> the theme today has been core values. And we've heard it from three different people. And, and all I heard as you were talking about your value system is core values. So what I would like to know is what are those values? I'm super interested to hear like, what's your measuring stick? What are you using? I don't even really know, man. I mean, my values are like fitness is preventative health. Like trainers have the ability to change the world. They should be changing the world. I, I, I love, you know, I, I respect reactive care practitioners, doctors, physiotherapists, chiros. I mean, some of them are preventative, but, but for the most part, they're reactive, but I just, I can't help but think that we wouldn't need anywhere close to as many of them as we have if fitness professionals did a better job and, and were more present and were given the resources and support that they, that they actually needed and the tools that they actually needed. And the, and the, and the fact of the matter is fitness professionals basically get shit on by everybody. Amen to that. <laughs> and that's, that's not okay. You know, they, and it's, and it's getting worse, not better because the education companies that are supposed to prepare them and the software companies that are supposed to support them are all almost exclusively owned now by venture capital and private equity. And they're just, I mean, the things that I heard in these negotiations with these education companies, I was told by two of the three major education companies in the United States that, oh, people don't buy business as much, so we just don't sell it. And then they go and they talk about how they have job placement guarantees and stuff. That's all bullshit. Right. Right. I was, I was told by the VP of marketing, this wasn't NASM to be very, very clear. I was told by the VP of marketing at one of the major certifications. Um, what, what we do here is um, we, we build certifications for people who aren't smart enough to get a university degree. And so we build these certifications and we make them easier to complete and, uh, and we make them cost a little bit less than the other guys. That's our competitive advantage. <laughs> wow. Like this is, these are the people who are in charge of educating and preparing preventative health practitioners for our society. Is that messed up? Yeah, yeah it's massively out of integrity. Massive. And so I, I can't help but think that, I mean, even from a purely like consumerist corporate, like capitalist standpoint, 
the post news going to win out here. The companies that are going to win out here are not the companies trying to make the most amount of money now. And again, going back to Amazon, Amazon's a fascinating example because whether you like Amazon or not, you've got to respect what they've done as a business. And if you actually followed them along the way, Amazon's stock price for a very long time did not represent the value of the company. They, it, was, it was very much pushed down. And pundits everywhere, this is the end of Amazon. Amazon's awful. I can't believe that they're doing this. And, and Amazon was just like, look at the amount of customers, look at the satisfaction, look at the return rate. Like clearly this isn't representative of the value we're providing. And lo and behold, years later, Amazon is just like, do you even know who's second place to Amazon? Like it doesn't exist. <laughs> they're just, they're just, everybody else is irrelevant. And it's because everybody else paid a lot more attention to their stock price in the moment. Amazon was always building to the future. And I can't help but think that what's going to happen in our industry is a lot of the companies that you see right now that are the big companies, the big software companies, the big education companies are just going to be irrelevant, are not going to exist in a number of years because they are so badly mistreating their customers that, and in order to, to get the biggest returns as possible mm -hmm. to, their, to their investors, it's not how you run a business over the long term, right? That's how you make sure you don't get fired when you work for an investment firm. Mm. that's the difference i mean it's just it's it's all that it's all dumb and so what i'm trying to do is like the software that we've built is 100 free you know i'm I, like what do you need as a personal trainer you need to spend send a goddamn spreadsheet to somebody <laughs> like, really like what are you you're charging me a hundred dollars a month right like, holy shit man that spreadsheet's got to be easy to use sure it's got to look good it's a goddamn spreadsheet <laughs> Why do you need it? all this other shit? Nobody needs that. Nobody wants that. You're just making it unnecessarily complex just so you can charge a bunch of money for it. It's ridiculous. And so we built the absurdly simple solution. It's called Quick Coach. It's beautiful. It's coded exceptionally well. And it's 100% free. It's free for one client. It's free for 10,000 clients. How are we going to make money on it? To be honest, I don't really know. We're going to include the option where people can run their payments through there if they choose. You don't have to. You can still invoice through it and not run their payments. But if you do, we'll take a little bit of a cut. You're not going to pay any more for payment processing than you would anywhere else. But we'll take you know a little bit of a cut. Beyond that, I don't really know. But what I do know is if you have a software platform with thousands or tens of thousands of active users who log into that any day, you can kind of figure out the rest later. Mm-hmm. Like, it ain't that hard. So what comes first is my question. I love it. I love it. Um, advice for coaches right now. What would you, what would you tell the seasoned veteran and the, and the newbie? Wanting to, wanting what would to you tell them? Experience? I want to know what you guys would tell them. I've been talking too much. <laughs> That's why you're here, man. I run my mouth all the time, dude. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you give me one. Give me one thing you would tell them and then I'll go after. I mean, we tell them, you know, get clear on what, what, what do you actually want? Like, yeah. what do you really want? Okay. Do, you know, are you chasing money? Are you chasing a lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Do you want to make an impact? But you got to get, you have to get clear on what it is your, your personal driving force really is. Cool. I like that. Mine's not dissimilar. Um, I mean, I buy into that hundred percent. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll say it a little bit different way because um, you took the first one, you jerk. Uh, you know, <laughs> what, you know, for me, it's, it's what's, what's the focus right now. And once you identify what the priority is, what that one thing is, like kind of nothing else matters. I, I find a lot of people, a lot of people in any industry, but a lot of people in the fitness industry are just trying to do too much and they're diluting their efforts and they're not getting anything done. There's a lot of action and very little reward. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what's, what's your priority? And I mean, what I'm doing here is a good example. I have 18 podcasts this week. I have over 70 podcasts in a month and a half. And that was just because for my own reasons, right? Happy to talk about, don't have to, but for my own reasons, I've decided that right now, the most important thing that I can do as I'm starting this midlife crisis of mine is reconnect with our community and go deep one-on-one. -on -one. 
with as many people as possible. And not just anybody randomly, but I want to connect with people who I think are you know, doing good work and probably going to be around for a long time. And so I look for indicators of seriousness. Mm. And somebody who has a podcast is a very distinct indicator of seriousness. Mm. It's not that hard to do, but it's harder than posting a picture on Instagram where you're pointing at fucking words in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And so, you know, it's like you go to a, I like to hike. So I use this example. You go to a national park in the United States, even the busiest national park, you walk five minutes off of the path and you got the whole park to yourself. Mm. Like, Like being in a league of your own is actually not that difficult. It requires a tiny little bit of extra effort. Mm. And so for my own reasons, right, as I connect with my community, I wanted to be able to connect and, and, and get to the ground level and have deeper conversations. I wanted to get better and better at communicating myself again, because I've been behind the scenes doing stupid corporate stuff for two years. And, and I wanted to build real relationships with people who show indicators that they're gonna be around for a lot of years. So I decided I'm gonna do a podcast. I'm gonna do a bunch of podcast interviews. And because I decided that, because of all those reasons, right? I decided that this was the most important thing for me to be doing right now. I'm going to the edge of the map with it. Mm. I'm not doing anything else. I'm doing 80 of them, right? I'm not doing like one a week, two a week. It's because this is the most important thing for me to be doing right now. I did a, uh, I did a podcast with a, with a gym owner, business development, something or other group two weeks ago. Good guys. I can't remember the name. Good guys. And it was a really fun podcast. He had like a voice for radio. It was really disturbing. It made me sound awful. <laughs> but it was, I hate people like that. You know, when you meet somebody and you're just like, you're just so kind and like nice. And like, I could never be that kind and nice. And so I hate you. It was like one of those. <laughs> and so he, uh, he, he was talking about how they help their business owners and talking about how they do lunch and learn, like encourage their, their, their gym owners to do lunch and learns at local businesses and how it's really important to connect with the with the local business and stuff like that. And I was like, that's cool. Like lunch loans are fun, but I don't know. I never had success with them. Right. Cause it was like, what are you going to do? Like call up like an HR manager somewhere in a company and be like, hi, I have value to add to you. You know, let me come in and like speak to your staff. And like, that's just no fun for anybody. It's like, but like, let's talk about how to maybe do something that's a little bit more creative, understanding what actually drives behavior. And understanding who the decision makers really are and if you own a local business. And so they were in Sacramento. So I used the example of Sacramento. I'm like, what, what actually drives the majority of behavior? It's, it's two things. It's sex and status. Like it or not, it's just what drives behavior for the most part. And so what if instead of doing lunch and loans about fitness, right? What if you start a podcast that's called The Best of Sacramento? And you just happen to own a gym in Sacramento, but the podcast isn't about fitness. It's the best of Sacramento. Well, now you can call the secretary for the CEO of the biggest companies in Sacramento and invite the CEO of the company onto the best of Sacramento podcast where you interview and highlight the trailblazers and the business magnets that are bringing Sacramento into the 21st century, doing amazing things for our community. Well, now you have a one-on-one conversation for an hour with the CEO of the biggest companies in Sacramento. Probably a more in-depth one-on-one conversation than that man or woman has had with anybody, including their spouse in months. You've got a relationship with them. By the way, you just so happen to own the gym. Don't forget that, right? (laughs) And now all of the CEOs and stuff like that are your personal network in Sacramento. What's that going to do for your company versus lunch and loans with a bunch of people who don't want to show up? So like, you know, my question is, so, so again, like the advice, it's not, you know, it's not start a podcast, the best of whatever. I mean, maybe, but what is the goal and what is the number one best thing that you can do to achieve that goal? And Go all in on that and ignore anything else. Who gives a shit about your Instagram account if you're a local gym? Who cares? 
right? And who cares about building a big audience for a podcast? Because podcasts are a terrible way to build an audience. Podcasts are a fantastic way to network. Podcasts are a fantastic way to add, to help somebody else improve their perceived status by being on the podcast. And podcasts are a fantastic way for you to go deep with somebody. So if that's the goal, go all in on that, right? And so I just, you know, I just question, like, I question a lot of the actions that people are taking, like, like the littlest bit of creativity seems to me, you know, an opportunity to stand out a lot. All right. So if anybody's got a mic they can drop, we can just drop that mic right now. That's, <laughs> yeah, dude, we can that, do that. that's fantastic, man. And and I just, I appreciate your insight. I know we got a hard stop coming up here, so I yep. want to be mindful of your time, but um, real quick, last question for you before we get off of here, if you had a billboard and you could put a message on that billboard for everyone to see, what would be the message? I mean, I, geez, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm just making this up as I go. Don't you realize that you can too? Mm. Ooh, I like that. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt too. Yeah. That's a good one. You know what I'm going to put on a t-shirt? I'm going to put on a t-shirt. Wow. You sure don't look like your picture on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm just going to bring that to a fitness conference and just hand it out to every single person I see. That is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Dude. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You yeah, absolutely. Like really amazing insight into the industry. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll put all your links in the show notes, make sure people can connect with you. And uh, man, thanks for being on our show. We appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, guys. I enjoyed myself too. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you found value and entertainment in our content. Listen, we love helping fit pros get paid with their worth and we have something we would love for you to take advantage of. Absolutely. So go to fitprocollective.com forward slash bootcamp to download our free business bootcamp on taking your training business online. This is no BS sales pitch. This is actual strategies that you can implement right now to move your business forward. Finally, again, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and review. Let us know what you think. Thanks again for listening to Real Talk with Real Fit Pros, where we help fit pros what? Get what they're worth. Yeah.